0: Welcome to the Freshman Foundation podcast, helping you make the jump from high school athletics to the collegiate level and beyond with your host, Michael Huber. Hey everyone, it's Mike Huber, founder and CEO of the Freshman Foundation and certified mental performance consultant. The Freshman Foundation podcast is preparing young athletes and families for every next step in their athletic journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share with a friend. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Freshman Foundation. How is Sky Eddie making the youth sports sideline a better place? Anyone who's ever attended a youth sports game knows that the sideline can be a pretty intense place. Emotions often run high as parents, coaches, and young athletes strive for results. However, player development and a healthy motivational climate are often sacrificed as a result. My guest in this episode, Sky Eddie, is the founder of the Soccer Parenting Association. Sky is a former professional soccer player, coach educator, and most importantly, a soccer parent. Over the past eight years, her mission has been inspiring young athletes by empowering parents. In episode 52, Sky shares her aim of making the youth sports sideline a better place by arming parents with information that allows them to show up at their best. I'm excited for this conversation. Let's build your foundation with Sky Eddy. Hi, Sky. How are you?
1: Good. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Me too. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to have you here. It's great. Um, so I guess to get started, you know, knowing that you have a background as a player and as a coach, I guess I'm curious about what inspired you to become an advocate for soccer parents.
1: Oh, gosh, that's a that's a big question. Um, I would say really my experiences as a soccer parent, I felt like, and I assumed that after my playing background and, you know, I was still an active coach at that point, uh, still working in the youth game, I felt like being a soccer parent would be so easy for me and it really wasn't. And so when I realized the challenges and saw the challenges and felt them firsthand, um, I knew that other parents were feeling and going through these same experiences as I was.
0: Yeah, we are. Um, cause I am, I am, I am a, I am a soccer parent and I, I definitely see, um, I feel those challenges, you know, as somebody who's in the youth sport field and watching, uh, sometimes from afar, it's very, it can be very, um, frustrating and very sort of, you know, hope feeling very like hopeless and sometimes sometimes. And so it's great to have voices out there who are speaking up. I mean. Were there any experiences specifically that inspired you or is it just sort of the amalgam of everything you've sort of witnessed as, as from the sidelines?
1: Yeah. uh, A couple things stand out. Um, One is when my daughter was playing, uh, gosh, it was probably like U8, U9. It was the ADP program at our club, the Richmond Strikers, where I'm really proud to still be on the board there. I was an active coach there up until a year ago. Um, but as my daughter was coming up in the ADP program, which is like the first paid coaching environment she had introduction to travel soccer, and, uh, she really wasn't enjoying it. So she'd get in the car for a few times, uh, you know, for weeks, uh, you know, it's, it was a repeated behavior after training. Nah, it wasn't fun. Don't want to go back. It was hard to get her to go to training and, um, And so I decided to go observe a session and it wasn't any good. (laughs) I was like, "Uh, no wonder she's bored. Uh, You know, it wasn't conducive to what we know to be true about youth development and what the best environment is for learning and inspiration and passion for these kids. And so then I started uh, the next game. I started asking some questions of some friends, like not causing any drama, not being crazy about it, just like, hey how have you, how are you with this experience? And Michael, every parent was totally satisfied. And when I realized that every parent was totally satisfied with such a subpar learning environment, I realized that we are never going to reach our potential as a footballing soccer nation until parents understand what good quality training and learning environment looks like. So that was one of them. I will say that the work that I'm doing is absolutely not parent versus club versus coach. There's none of that. It's all very collaborative and trust filled in nature. Um but uh you know a big part of our work my work is is education and parent education about things like the body, the mind, the game, the next level, the coach club relationship. Like we're educating about things that parents have never been empowered to learn about. Uh and then the second thing that stands out For me um, is, is just the struggles that I was personally finding myself having with my daughter who was in a performance mentality, uh, performance environment. And that, you know, my son has always been participation, recreational level, but my daughter super athletic, really gifted. And um, I was really struggling parenting her. And I, I know that I wasn't doing things right we were having moments where she was getting upset and frustrated. I cared way too much. I was upset. And, you know, I think it's really hard when you parent a child that isn't like you. So she was gifted athletically, maybe similar to me, but her mentality was not like mine. She did not have a growth mindset. She did not have confidence. She did not, you know, and so I I really struggled and how to help her. So I think those two things combined really morphed into and were the catalysts for the foundation, and still today remain the foundation for the work that we're doing at Soccer Parenting and the influence we're having in the space.
0: Yeah, that's I mean, there's so much in there that I'm interested in. Um, I could say from my own perspective as somebody who's in the sports psychology field, I definitely think there's a gap in terms of education about what motivates young people to participate and how we uh, speak to them and how we coach them and teach them to the point that we continue to keep them motivated. But but I, I guess I'm curious as sort of a, a novice soccer person still to this day, even though I've been watching soccer for the last seven to eight to nine years with my kids, Do you? Do you is your sense or is your experience that soccer coaching at the youth level, like at that sort of younger level, it's it's entirely too tactical and technical as opposed to being sort of personality or motivational oriented? Is that sort of what you say? Yeah.
1: I, I don't know that the issues that we are necessarily facing in youth soccer have to do specifically with youth soccer. I think that these are issues that generally span across all sport and the early interactions that our children have with play that our children have with sport. And, you know, we've seen a really shift in our society with everything is so structured. I mean, there's, there's lots of issues to, to, to say there, but um, what I would say specifically from her environment is yes. I mean, at soccer parenting we work with coaches a lot about holistic development of meeting the needs of the players in front of you of practice design that, that facilitates a sense of autonomy, Um, you know, all of these things are really important to the work that we're doing from a coach education standpoint. Um, Yet, I think that largely speaking, uh, it's not too tactical or too focused on technique or too anything. I think instead, maybe what we can say is the individual player isn't being considered enough. So, you know, some players will like it to be really technical in nature, and they all have a personality. And are be gifted athletically where that suits them and others won't and we'll lose them then. So I think bigger picture is, are we meeting the holistic individual needs of the player in front of us? And that's a lot to ask for a volunteer coach uh, and a coach that doesn't have any education or qualifications or background. Um, And it's also a lot to be asked of a paid coach who has another full-time job and maybe has their D coaching license or played in college. Like, Like, that's a lot to ask of everybody. But I do think that as parents grow in their understanding of what this good environment looks like, that that will be uh, an influencer in this space to encourage clubs, to provide better education to coaches, to encourage coaches to dive in more. And for all of us across all sport to take a moment and say You know what's really important here, and what is uh, important in terms of the result of the game, the development of the child, the sense of passion and inspiration, being healthy. Like, let's let's reframe uh, why our children are playing sports at these younger ages.
0: Yeah, I think, and it's it's such a big it's such a big problem to solve for that. I think it's easy sometimes to throw your hands up and say. This is too hard almost, you know, like how do we, how do we do it? And I think doing it at the grassroots level really is the way to go in the sense that rather than trying to sort of throw this umbrella over the macro, right. It's really actually trying to educate people at the grassroots level so that you start to see sort of the change from the inside out, because you know, that's not going to happen overnight. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time and what changes have you seen over time in that space of like, hey, like I'm starting to see some of the things that we've mm-hmm. seeded now starting to take hold.
1: Yeah. I mean, when we involve parents and what we know to be true from what all the research says about effective parent engagement programs is that when um, schools effectively engage parents in the work that they're doing in the school setting, that player, the the uh, students will be more motivated. They'll score better in test scores. They'll stay longer in school and not drop out of school. They'll have better attendance rates. At school. Those students will be more motivated. Um, the parents will be satisfied. Teachers will be satisfied. Parents will be empathetic. So that's what all the research says. So as as clubs are layering in and as coaches are thinking about what a very simple to institute parent engagement program and my team or my club looks like with appropriate boundaries. Like once we're starting to see clubs and coaches implement these into their work, uh, then we're starting to see those benefits absolutely happen. I will say that over the course of the span of these eight or, or, you know, years or so that I've been operating with soccer parenting, um, one, when I started, everyone thought I was crazy. Coaches, All of my colleagues and coaches were like, you want to take on the parents? Like, let me buy you a drink. Like, like the response that I had from coaches was a deeply visceral response to parents that we know parents have, uh, you know, been perceived that way. Uh, and then slowly over time, that objectionable response from coaches shifted to tell me what you're doing and now show me how to do this or I want to join you. So we've seen culturally across sport, there be this wonderful shift from parents being perceived to all be crazy to now us being able to understand in one of our belief statements at soccer parenting is that we believe that parents will be difference makers when it comes to improving the game. Um, There's also this sense of collaboration that's evolved. And I will say that probably the biggest the the biggest uh, touchstone for change that I have seen in these eight years is thankfully that we have better leadership in place. So, uh, you know, we have, let's say, maybe professionalizing youth sports has not been the great thing for the kids and the structures that the kids are now um, involved in. But at the same time, it has given us good quality leaders. And, um, you know, that's the thing that makes me the most optimistic now about the work that we're doing is the quality of leadership that we're seeing in our youth game.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I think something you just touched on there was something I was thinking about asking, which is sort of, You know, at a very like fundamental, basic, maybe overly simplistic level, there is this sort of dynamic that I see, and you know, just in my own life. Forget about in my work Mm -hmm. of the coaches versus the parents, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning, like I'm the coach, I'm volunteering my time, or I'm getting paid. I know better. You're the parent. You sit. You be quiet. The parents are saying, "Those are my kids," and there's this sort of versus us versus them dynamic. But then in my work, as I think of my mission as a sports psychology professional is to, to, to serve the children, right. To serve the family, but to serve the child first. Right. So if we all have that shared mission of like, Hey, we're doing this for the best interests of the children and we put them on a pedestal. Now, all of a sudden that opens up theoretically the room for the dialogue of that you described, coaches talking to parents, parents talking to coaches. Hey, what can we do together to make this better for everybody? Right. They're developing as players. They're developing as people. They're happy. They're staying together as a group. Right. We want to see our kids stay together over time with their groups. And that doesn't always happen. And I'm going through that as a parent now It's like, you know, they start to get older. There's divergent motivations and divergent sort of opinions on what should happen. Like if we're working together, though, like that's ultimately where we're going to get the best outcomes. And it sounds like you're starting to see that from your end.
1: Yeah, um, I I won't say I'd say a structural issue we have is, you know, this divergence of kids that go in different directions. It's understandable, like you insinuated, you know, kids have different motivations or different sense of athleticism that evolves, uh, you know, after puberty and they decide to go more of a high performance pathway, maybe. But that backtracking to the real point there is that um, the the perception of the parent is so foundational to the work that we're doing, and you know, at Soccer Parenting, we define parent engagement as coaches and parents working together to ensure that players are inspired. And so, you know, we are are speaking, and when I'm out and doing coach education, club education, parent education a lot of the the education i i foster is is this concept of trust and i'm actually teaching about trust and how to establish trust in the coach parent relationship it's a it's a relationship that has been very ill defined um we don't have clarity on what the real relationship should look like what what an effective parent coach relationship should look like coaches have not received any education or enough education on Uh, the value of parents and how specifically to include them. Uh, And I mentioned the word boundaries before. I mean, it's a very confusing relationship for parents and for coaches. You know, coaches don't want to engage with parents for fear of, uh, you know, parents. They maybe they've been burned by a crazy parent in the past. And I feel like these crazy parents is the way I refer to them. It might not be the most, you know. (laughs) Socially uh, aware term to use. But, you know, really it's the crazy parents that have ruined it for all of us, level headed and sometimes stressed parents, which is the vast majority, like well into the 90% parents or level headed parents. They maybe don't have the education or information they need, but with it, they'll be fine. And yes, we're sometimes stressed. It's the way I would describe myself as a sports parent. And we live as those parents in fear of being portrayed as a crazy parent. And so we think I'm not going to be too involved and be that helicopter parent. So I'm not going to ask this very legitimate question that I have, or I'm not going to seek more education because I don't want to seem like I care too much. So these crazy parents have even hurt us for the level headed ones. And then, you know, sadly, you know, the coaches have been burned. I had a very challenging parent on my team a few years ago. It made my life really, really hard. It made my year coaching these kids really, really stressful, despite even all the work that I'm doing right now. And, um, and so coaches that have have unfortunately had that experience, which does happen now and then, you know, they've really just sort of been pushed off and, and, you know, What needs to happen is that coaches need more training and guidance on, you know, things like emotional intelligence and, you know, those types of things in order to really be able to manage those relationships. It's a, it's a challenging, nuanced relationship that we haven't established clarity on and that desperately needs very clear boundaries.
0: Yes. And I've been on both sides of it as a parent and I've coached quite a bit, you know, as a volunteer. Mm -hmm. And, and I think when I, when I was listening to you talk, I think it's the content of what parents bring to coaches has to be extremely relevant. What I mean by that is if a parent's coming to a coach about a result or a playing time or an outcome, right? As a coach, you don't really want to hear that. Now, if a parent comes to me and says, Hey, I have, you know, I have some insight about the way my child ticks and I want you to know that so you can coach them better. That's a totally different conversation than why aren't you playing Johnny or Mary, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. no, this is like how they're reacting. You should know this. And then I'm giving you the freedom to then take that information and try to do something constructive with it, right? Those are two totally different things. And I think as parents, we have to understand how to engage in those conversations so that we're helping but we're not confronting or threatening a coach who says like, I don't need this crap, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and then, I mean, so, I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, speaks perfectly to the sense of nuance. So at soccer parenting, when we talk about boundaries, we say literally, it is okay to talk to the coach about this. And it's not okay to talk to the coach about this. And we encourage Mm. coaches to even use that type of language, be very clear with the parents. We know that Having boundaries actually helps establish trust. It helps form a sense of community. We want boundaries in our lives. Our children want boundaries. Like we know that about about being human. Like boundaries are bumpers and it gives us clarity on our role. So let's be very clear in setting the boundaries. And we tell coaches to tell parents, like it's not okay to come and talk to me about a tactical decision that I made in the game. If you have a question like a negative line of question. Now, if you're curious on why we had two people in the wall and you, instead of four, like yeah, we'll have a tactical conversation about, you know, where the ball is, if it's direct versus indirect, uh, you know, the angle, the distance from goal, the quality of the height of the players in the wall. I mean, there's lots we can talk about tactically that might inform a parent. But if it's like, why did you only have two people in the wall versus four? Like they scored a goal. It's all you know then there's difference there. So you can't talk to the coach about a tactical decision that they make. You cannot talk to a coach about any substitution, playing time issues. You cannot talk to a coach about another player on the team, unless it's an issue with bullying that needs to be addressed. And there's a player care safety issue that needs to be addressed. But, But saying, why did you start Johnny? He missed training on Tuesday. My son was there. Not okay to bring up because we don't understand anything that's going on in the nuance of that relationship. So it's it's not okay to talk about tactical decisions, it's not okay to talk about playing time substitution. Now it is absolutely okay to talk to a coach if you have a curious question about tactics and basketball. You know, why when I was playing basketball growing up, we all did man to man. Now I see you're doing zone. What's the difference? You know, that's a great question to ask a coach. Or um you know, if you have, uh, it, it's okay to talk to a coach if if your child is lacking an in inspiration, if repeatedly they're struggling, then absolutely the door should be open. And possibly that's because of playing time. And it's okay to talk to coaches about playing time if you frame that conversation correctly. And maybe your child is old enough to be a part of the conversation. Maybe you don't want them there, but I, I will just backtrack for one moment and say so many of our issues in youth sports would be solved if we had more level-headed considerations about playing time standards for our children across all sport. And at Soccer Parenting, we believe that every child should play half of every game. It should be minimum standard. Um, and the teams that I coach, every child plays equal. I I, I, I seek that for my, my kids. They are 10-year-old kids playing soccer this is this is this needs to be about development and to make an early selection bias decision about these kids is not okay so i mean these are bigger conversations but um you know when we're talking about setting boundaries and talking about playing time issues absolutely the door should be open
0: yeah and i think something that you raised there sort of reminds me of something I went through recently with my daughter who's 12. And, and I, th- I, I think I would say just generally, before you go to the coach, you could talk to the, to your player, your kid about why certain decisions are being made. So the reason why I say that is, is my, my daughter was playing in a game with a new team and the, tactically they were, they were actually setting up to run some sort of offsides trap which I did not know. Now, up until that point, she's been coached, goal, stay goal side, stay goal side, stay goal side. So I, of course, chime in from the sideline mistakenly, hey, yeah. you need to stay goal side. And my daughter scolded me and said, hey, I have a coach, keep it, zip your lip, dad, because I, you don't know what I'm talking about. So what I learned after the fact was, They were putting, the coach was putting them in that position to set up this offsides trap, which I didn't know. So instead of scolding her from the sideline, I could have asked her after the game, like, why were you doing that? And she put me in my place. And I think, go ahead. Great
1: learning moment for you.
0: Huge, and I've been telling it the story. I've been telling the story on my podcast, and I, 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 I take res- full responsibility because I should know better because I'm not a sideline talker. But in that moment, I got caught up in the emotion of like, you're not doing what you've been taught to do. Mm-hmm. But what I wasn't able to do was on. Un- I wasn't able to put myself in her shoes to say like maybe she's being taught something else by the coach. And that kind of speaks to your point about zone versus man to man in basketball in general. Like, there's no one right or wrong way to do things. Every coach has a different philosophy. And if they play zone or man, or if they have an offsides trap or they don't, does it really matter in in the grand scheme of things?
1: I mean, Michael, the bigger question is, is like, even if your daughter was not goal side and they ended up scoring from her not being in a goal side position, is it really a role to speak up from the sideline to coach her? Like you're taking away her learning moment there. If 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 they scored and she's not in the right position and then she's willing to reflect on that later, that's the learning. Right. And for us to take away these situations uh, from our children, you know, uh, is is unfortunate. Like I I personally don't think, and I am not saying I have never not done that. I mean, <laughs> I will tell you. I mean, there's so many times that my daughter will listening now. She'd be like, Mom. I've heard you talk to me before from the sideline, and I, I'm not saying that I haven't, but I just think as parents, we need to ask ourselves, is is there even a place for it at all?
0: one One of the things i'm a I'm a huge advocate for in my work, as well as in my own personal relationship with my children, is is to apologize or to take responsibility when I'm wrong. And I think that is something that's definitely lacking from the parent' side of, I'm the parent, you're the child, and like, even if I'm wrong about something, like I don't take responsibility for it to the point where the kid is like, "Okay, at least my mom or dad understands that they were wrong. I think that yeah. that goes a long way to sort of, I don't say poisoning, that's too strong a word, but it definitely taints the relationship, the sport, the parent uh, athlete relationship and youth sport because it's like, then it becomes totally conditional. It's not a two-way relationship.
1: Yeah. You're reminding me of, um, I used to, I never coached Callie, my daughter, uh, at the club level. Like I never actually coached her team. There were times where I was out there working with the goalkeepers or with a defense, like, and it and might've been involved in her session, but I was never the coach of recession. But for many years, I coached on the field next to her, So it worked out that I, I coached at the club, And I worked out my coaching times to be the same time as her practice times, just for convenience sake for our family. And so I was often on the pitch when she was there and I'd find myself sort of listening or watching or observing. And the conversations that I would have with her afterwards were things specifically about her practice that I was leading. I was saying, so when you guys did this, this, and this, what did the coach say? Or, uh, you know, but then I stopped coaching at those same times and it was so cool to have her come home sit down at the kitchen table and for me to just be genuinely curious and not be driving the conversation at all. So what did you do? How was that? How did that feel? What did what did what did you think? Did you learn that or, you know, or or you know, even not always like high reflection learning conversations, just like, you know, tell me about the water break, whatever it was. Um, and so I think that that's a gift that we can give our children. And by being a little bit too involved, um, that, that to me, uh, the reason I think I thought to say this story is because I felt like the first few times I had those beautiful interactions with Callie being genuinely curious and hearing truly about her practice from her point of view, I felt like apologizing to her. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've done this wrong for so long. Like, this is such a better way to mm-hmm. to be spending time with you than trying to lead the conversation about what I observed at training or whatever. So, anyway,
0: side note. Yeah, I, I, absolutely, and I, I love that about you know the years. My kids are 14 and 12. I, I love that they're moving into a phase of their sport life where they really are starting to take ownership of it. And that we Mm -hmm. can have conversations, two-way conversations about like, hey, tell me about what you're learning. And when they come home and tell me about, oh, we did this or we learned that or, and and it's like, they're absorbing it and they're, they're, they're really taking it on for themselves for the first Mm -hmm. time in their lives. And it's really cool to watch. And now they're smarter than me. Like I'm learning from them. And I think that that's really important because I do see the opposite side of that as a parent sitting on the sidelines, like the parents who are still coaching from the sidelines. And my kids know it. It's not me and my ex-wife, but other parents. And my kids notice it and they'll make comments about it. Like so-and-so's mom never shuts up or so-and-so's dad's always yelling. Like, why are they doing that? Or it's really distracting. Like that still happens a lot. And I understand Mm -hmm. why it happens because it's so emotional for parents. I get that, but it's not productive, right? So like what sorts of things- Go ahead we
1: we can understand that it happens because of this but that doesn't make it okay like Mm -hmm. i i think that at the end of the day the the work that we need to do when we're talking with parents and when we're educating and engaging with parents is about that exactly like why do we care so much why Mm -hmm. is it so emotional let's unpack that. Let's spend some time and reflect on that. Maybe you should journal at your next game, at your child's next game and try to understand like why the emotion is so deep. Um, And maybe that will, will help. And, and we said from the beginning, like, this is a multifaceted problem that we have. Like parents need to understand this. Coaches have a lot of work to do on totally different subjects as well. And clubs and leaders at clubs in terms of the environment that are putting out, like we all, this is, this is a, this is a culture changing work. And so we all need to evaluate our knowledge, our beliefs, our values, our behaviors Mm -hmm. individually, And then as a group, and then as coaches and as parents and as club leaders, and then we'll start to see some culture changing work. But I'm always fascinated. I mean, of course, I feel things really deeply for my kids, and I get it. But once I was able to realize, okay, I am feeling a lot of emotion right now. And I need to frame this differently, because I'm caring too much about the result right now, I can still feel this emotion. But let me frame it as joy or let me frame it as um as excitement or let me frame it as oh my gosh i'm living vicariously through my child right now i need to stop doing this like let me just be real and honest i said that on a podcast or in a radio show a while ago until we start being very um honest about the interactions that we have with our children good and bad we're going to be missing a really important part of the solution
0: yeah. And that's something I, you know, the, the more, the more I work with young people in my practice, the more I realize there's room for me to probably work with parents on some of those skills, right? The, the breathing, right? It's like you're, you're as a parent, we're performers, right? We have a very high level of responsibility for other people and we're performing and we have to be at our best, right? If we're not relaxed and mindful and conscious of what we're doing, we're going to perform poorly, right? Which means screaming from the sideline, yelling, mm-hmm. getting upset, right? Like, you know, journaling from the sideline is a great idea, right? Like I'm having these thoughts in my head and, and I'm saying these things like, oh, I'm going to write this down. Why am I doing it? Right? Like yeah. becoming more aware of our, our behaviors so that we can change our behaviors so that we can be better going forward. And I think that that's something that really gets lost.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And also because, you know, this is all about we want our children to feel inspired. And if we're feeling stress, our our kids feel that. Our kids yes, feel that we have stress. I mean, uh, my daughter still taught. I mean, I am so embarrassed to say, but there was a time I literally walked out of her game. I got in my car and I drove away when she was at that age that I was really struggling, like eight or nine. And she remembers it. And mm-hmm. it's like one of my worst parenting moments, but that's how much I cared. And that's how frustrated I was. It was because of her performance. I felt like she was underperforming on the field, but of course she was underperforming on the field because how much did I care? Like it was a big cycle that we had to work our way through. And that's really why I founded soccer parenting. Cause I'm like, This is this is way too much. And I I needed help. I literally, it was an intervention for me (laughs) in many ways. And I'm so proud to say, you know, Callie just is graduating from college. She was just named an all-American in college. It's amazing. Like mission accomplished. You know, like, like she loves the game so deeply. And uh, I'm just so grateful for the work that I've done in soccer parenting, the friendships, the people that I've met, the experts that I've interviewed, and the learning that's happened. And I just hope that I can continue to influence and impact other parents who are feeling these same deep uh, emotions that that I was feeling.
0: So, so tell me, tell me about that. I mean, it sounds like you're quite a ways along in terms of the development of what you offer and what you're bringing, uh, to light. So like, how are you building awareness amongst the clubs amongst, you know, the schools, the families, like talk about that. Like, how do you get engaged people in the conversation? That's clearly, you know, that, that, that those relationships are growing. Like, how do you engage them?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, fortunately, I have a really, really strong network in sport. Uh, I've had mm-hmm. some really great um, ba- background uh, just in terms of, of working with different clubs and having a good reputation in the sport. So w- the foundation of our, our reach to parents is through clubs. So there is this beautiful movement of clubs that that want to engage and provide education to parents. And so mm-hmm. at Soccer Parenting, we've created an education platform for parents, and it's the tool that we use to interact with parents. So it's a tool that clubs provide their parents, giving them some agency in the space. It's a, it's an parent engagement tool that we've created that clubs can share with their parents saying, we value you. We're, you are important. We want you to take the time and take these courses or be involved in these different interviews and listen and learn from this platform. So it's, Uh, you know, largely our work is clubs that are sharing the platform with the parents and that opens the door to, you know, getting to know and connecting with the parents that are in the club as they register for the membership site. And then individual parents are joining, um, you know, and and are able to gain access to everything that we have as well.
0: Yeah. Ironically enough, I just literally within the last couple of days received an email from my children's club with a webinar about perfectionism in female soccer, which I was like, wow, that's really ironic in that we were recording this podcast just a couple days later, but I think it's awesome, right? Because that's the world that I live in professionally. And then to see that being exposed to the people around me that I know that probably aren't going to listen to me, even though I'm a professional in the space to see that they have access to these kinds of things, knowing that perfectionism, whether for boys or girls is such a prevalent issue all the way up to the college level, based upon my own experiences working with athletes. I think it's a really important topic and I see it in my own daughter. This really, really, um, uh, she's really hard on herself. She's starting to develop as a player and she loves soccer so much, but when she does not get the result that she wants, she's really, really hard on herself. And as parents, we have to understand how to help them with that, right? Yeah, To be and- able to, to, to keep those boundaries, but also give them the resources and tools that they need to work through it on their own.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of kids are dropping out of sport because of this pressure that they are feeling and uh, a lot of that is driven from parents and the parents responses to sport that the kids pick up on and then they feel like the results are so important but but they're 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 not like a 28 year old professional athlete these are kids that are learning and growing and in middle of growth spurts and aren't even fully developed and are still trying to figure their bodies out and they have so much more to learn like so you know we put you know the to become two results oriented you know yes. uh, that doesn't mean we don't want our kids to have a very strong mentality and want to win but you know the actual result needs to have some perspective and reflection learning and that what a great opportunity for our kids to grow as human beings from from you know layering that in and that webinar that you referenced that we're doing is one of the few player education events that we do we do one or two player education events a year so this is a webinar for girls about perfectionism. And I won't be leading it. There'll be an expert leading it, female footballers. And, you know, uh, it's, it's such an important topic, a bigger issue of self-esteem and identity development for our children and kids. And that goes obviously across girls and boys.
0: Yeah. I I think there's something in there that I, I wanted to, to sort of highlight because it's something that I've experienced relatively recently. And When I was, when I was coaching my kids at a younger level, I was very much about fun and development and all these things. And I de-emphasized winning. And what I realized was, is that the kids themselves, they wanted to win, right? And and so I, in some ways I was shortchanging them. And I realized like, if the kid wants to win, then let them want to win, right? And encourage that. But if if they want to win because it's making a, an adult happy, that is a different ball of wax, right? Like, yeah. I need to win because the adults think I need to win. Versus, well, no, I w- I want to win, right? I, I because want, I mean,
1: every kid should want to win when they go. I mean, like, it's <laughs> not it's not it's not like the desire to win. We want every child to start the game like desiring deeply to win and wanting to put in their best effort. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They and and it all but it's also the time frames, right? Like within that that 60 minute window or 70 minute window, they want to win. But when it's over, they move on to the next thing. Whereas the parents might dwell on, like, why didn't you win? Or this is what you need to do next time. Or, you know, we need to win the next game because we're gonna be in second place. You know, it's like we get a lot of I get a lot of that and I see that. And I yeah. that really burns me because like, why yeah. are you worried about the table, you know, (laughs) like, you know, we
1: as parents make assumptions that our kids feel the same way about winning that we do. And you're right. Our kids are in the moment, like they get in the car and they've largely moved on. Uh, and, and yet we keep bringing them back thinking we're helping them thinking that, you know, but, but we're really not. No, absolutely. (laughs) It's so great. You have these experiences as a parent that you can layer into the work that you're doing you know, like, and that you're able to reflect and learn and pull from these experiences to have just kind of a deeper perspective about, you know, what, what, um, you know, may possibly be going on in the minds of the parents, the kids you're working with, and just, you know, generally more structurally, uh, you know, within our culture. So that's great. I
0: I, I wasn't anticipating asking this question and, and I think we could kind of steer away from it if it's, if it's too much, but I'm, I am curious, uh, there was a recently an article that I saw in the Washington post. I don't know if you saw it about ECNL and some of the things that are happening in terms of male dominance in sort of the organization. And I don't want to make it about that politically, but in terms of genders, right? Like males coaching females, let's just sort of leave it at that. Right. Like, do you, is there any, do you have a feeling or is there any sense from your end about like trying to bring more female coaches into the fold to make it more relatable for young female athletes? And, and I'm saying that from a, from a parent perspective, more than anything, like I have my own personal experiences with like, what do you have a view on that? Or is it something you want to touch?
1: Yeah, I get a lot of questions from people being an active coach. I'm a coach educator for you soccer, you know, I get a lot of questions from people like, "Why aren't there more women in the game?" And this is a very complex issue. This is is. not there. There is not a very clear solution to this. Um, Like, one, coaching youth sports is like not a great job. (laughs) Like, (laughs) women are just smart in many ways, and be like, I don't want to do that. Like, why would I want to like be away so much at challenging times? Why would I want to have so many commitments on the weekends? Why would I want to have to, you know, I mean, it's, it's a emotional drain. Like it's a lot. So just generally speaking, the pool of people that are willing to do this is limited. And so that already will, you know, needs to be addressed. Um, And yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about misogynism in sport and you want to talk about the horrific experiences that I had growing up in the game as an athlete and then, you know, as even as a coach, I mean, there's so many stories to say. It is, you know, unfortunately where we've been. I will say that we're starting to see improvements here. We're having conversations at higher levels in sport about gender equity, about uh, positive work environments, about you know being more thoughtful in the language and the way that we interact with people, uh, in terms of professionally within coaching. So, absolutely, there's so many great things that are happening that I think that we're opening the door and breaking down those barriers. But it is important to know that you know youth sports is largely um, dominated from an administrative standpoint by men that are making decisions for girls and all the more reason for parents to have a voice as Mm. far as I'm concerned. You know, if you think about like when the PTA started and the schools at that point were not safe, there were so many issues, they weren't regulated Um, And now, look, the PTA has been foundational in supporting the growth and empowering schools to support players, to support uh, students. And so, you know, in some like really small way, I look at like parent engagement matters. Parents having a voice matters. And so, you know, that is a big part of the work that I'm doing here Um, But getting more female coaches in the game is essential. I will also say that one of the things and projects that we're going to be looking at at Soccer Parenting and with the Sideline Project, which is our program that goes across all sport, is looking at the culture of being a youth sports coach. And how we can improve that because the coaches that I know are leaving the game at record numbers because it's such a hostile work environment in many ways. And I don't mean hostile about people yelling at them, but it's just, you know, it's not conducive to a healthy lifestyle, unfortunately. We've built it up to that. And so, you know, those are all issues that we need to address. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about the sideline project? Cause I didn't realize that it was across all sports, but I think that certainly the issues that we see as soccer parents and in soccer apply across the board, right? So can you talk a little yeah. bit more about what you're doing there?
1: Sure. Like the Sideline Project is a website, thesidelineproject.com. Um, on the site right now is a 15 minute course that parents can, coaches can take. It's an intervention for sideline behavior that's working. At the Sideline Project, we frame behavior around supportive, distracting, and hostile And we give parents tools to understand if their behavior is being supportive, if it's being hostile, but most importantly, if it's being distracting. And so once parents understand the difference between supportive behavior and distracting behavior, we really see a change on the sidelines. So over 60% of parents take the course, say their behavior improved. Over 40% of parents that take the course say their relationship with their child improved as a result of taking a 15-minute course. So we're really, really excited about the Sideline Project. We've had around 10,000 parents take it. And right now, this course is available across all sport. The video is across all sport. We're building out the Sideline Project website into an education platform for youth sports parents. So more and more throughout the next year and moving forward, we'll be layering in parent education for, um, you know, across all sports, uh, you know, to try to support parents because we're just really seeing, you know, the incredible response we've had to the education on the sideline project. And so we'll be building that out.
0: I think it's incredible. Um, I think it's really, really important. And I think the concept that you've highlighted is awareness, right? I think most times we don't realize what we're doing and when we sort of bring it to light, having that awareness allows us to make choices that are much more, much healthier, right. And if we don't really understand the difference, we're going to just keep doing what we've been doing. Um, I I guess a question I always want to ask because a, a lot of what comes up on this podcast is about sort of development through different gates, you know, as you move up the ranks athletically. So like, can you talk about like, and maybe from your own perspective as an athlete, maybe as your, your perspective as a parent, like what are some of the issues you've seen as athletes go from that, like youth sort of, you know, developmental, let's have fun level to now I'm in high school. Now I'm being recruited. Now I'm playing in college, et cetera. Like, are there things that you see as, a, as the athletes move up through the ranks that are things that you would say like, Hey, we need to really pay attention to this?
1: Two things probably come to mind right away, Michael, as you're as you're saying that one is, is this idea that um, athletes should play in college, like I think that this is a big decision athletes need to make and too often, they sort of just get sucked into this path. Of thinking that it's the next best thing and that we frame playing in college as like this ultimate experience when really i hope that we can start to reframe this to we want our children to stay healthy and active like my son's playing intramural soccer in college that's great my daughter opted to play division three college instead of division one despite being the only player on her team that went d3 instead of d1 she had the most incredible experience she played Every, she started every game in college. She was a three-year captain. She was an All-American. Like, she was conference MVP. She was on the all-conference team every year. She literally played so much soccer and grew and developed. So I think that we as parents, what we need to do is just kind of reframe the future for our children and not assume it's going to fall on a specific path and really let our children lead the way. So that's kind of one thing is that our children don't let or we don't enable our children to lead the way. And they, they get sucked into this path. I will also say that many of Callie's teammates, I should get the actual numbers on this because it's kind of come up a little bit as Callie's just finished college. Uh, you know, I'm reflecting on this, but I would say that I'm just making this up, but half her teammates from high school, from her club team that went on to play in college quit before the end of their college experience. Half of them. Um and and so, you know, we, we, uh, that that's part of this is, is you know, making good decisions. I, and then the other thing that comes up to me is just uh, self-esteem and the athlete and, you know, the, our, I, cre- creating their identification of who they are, what they believe to be true about themselves outside of their athletic accomplishments. I think we need to be really thoughtful in how we frame things um, uh, and, and the results that our kids have. It was a big struggle for me going off to college, and I see that with athletes all the time.
0: Yeah, and, and so I think you've hit on a couple of really important things that come up quite a bit when I talk about that issue of sort of moving up the ranks and transitioning. Is one is the idea of fit, right? If I want to, if I want to play a sport in college, it's going to require me to make a huge investment, right, of my time, uh, my energy, to 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 keep just to keep my head above water to be an athlete. Now, mm-hmm. I'm moving to a place where is brand new to me in most cases. I'm living in a new place. I'm making new friends. I've got this academic demand that I didn't have really in high school. It's very different, right? Like you have to find the fit that works for you and and to your sounds like to your daughter's credit, she made a really good choice about what was a fit for her. I think there is too much this is such a overgeneralization, but there's so much pressure to, to, to compete at division one level as sort of the Holy grail that I think people just accept these offers to play at the division one level, because that's what they think other people want to see or that's how they define themselves. And then they end up quitting because it's such a hard grind. And Oh, by the way, you were a superstar in high school and now you're in college and you're just like everybody else. And it's like, well, I'm not okay being like everybody else. So I'm just going to drop out. And that's, that's okay but is that the really the way we want it to go for our athletes
1: right i mean i mean every path and every journey for an athlete is different so i think you're right we need to be careful not to like generalize too much and really and but i think maybe the most important thing is that the athlete is the one that's leading and is making these decisions and not getting sucked into it because for callie to make that decision to go division three was not easy for her like her coach i I know that the people around her were gave her a little bit of pressure for not accepting other Division One offers that she had at schools that she wasn't interested in attending. So, you know, it, it is important. And it was not easy for me to let her lead the way either. Not the decision to go Division Three, but, um, you know, this was, this was something I constantly had to check myself with. Yes. Um, so, you know, something that I talk to parents a lot about.
0: But eg- exactly. And I think there's a, there's a, there's such a, there's so much room for education in that space of mm-hmm. you want them to lead the way, but you also sort of want to give them the breadcrumbs to make good decisions. Right. But, but what you're talking about, like, I don't know right where she came from, you know, club wise, but what I see here where I live and I'll take baseball. Cause that's like, I'm closer to baseball in terms of my work. I think these clubs are pressuring the players because They want to be able to say, I have X number of division one players so that I can then go market my club to the next generation to say like, I've got X division one players rather than looking at Johnny and saying, Hey Johnny, I know you, I've had you in my program for the last seven, eight years. I think you need to do this. This is what's best for you. Go play Juco, go play division three, right? Are we advising them based on what's best for them? Or are we advising them based upon our bias as to what's going to be best for us? And I think that that's that requires a lot of sort of massaging and triangulation and, you know, Hey, you know, like let's put the kid first and, and check ourselves to say, you know what? I want them to do this, but it's not what's best for me. It's what's best for them. And I think that's hard as a parent because you want to lead your kid to the right place.
1: Right. And, um, and you, you want your kid. To lead themselves to the right place. Yeah. We want to empower our children with the decision making skills, the awareness, the perspective. Uh, the self-esteem the confidence the maturation to be able to make big decisions for themselves this is one of the gifts that sports gives our children right is the ability to learn so much about their place in the world uniquely it gives our children this and so you know we really need to facilitate encourage empower that learning to happen
0: yeah so so as as we wrap up um the last question I usually ask everybody who's on this podcast, it's, it, it, it varies a bit, but the one thing I, I ask is if there's one piece of advice, I know it can be hard for a lot of people. If there's one piece of advice that you'd give to a soccer parent, what would that piece of advice, advice be?
1: Well, I might say, let your child lead the way. So we, since we just talked about that so much, I'll give another piece of advice that I often say, and that is to encourage them to seek education, like to, 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 to actually you, you've been so, you know, you, you have had so little agency in the space of your child's sports experience in terms of your role as a sports parent. This is stuff you do not know about, even if you like me, were an athlete and played professionally and college coach. Like there's still stuff you don't know. So seek education, seek guidance, uh, find people you trust.
0: I love it. That's a perfect way to end. So Sky, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me here. I loved our conversation. Good luck with everything you're doing. I love it. I'm definitely a supporter and following. So um, I wish you much success going forward and uh, I hope you have a great holiday. I know that's coming up here.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation. I enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much. So, what's your biggest takeaway from my conversation with Sky Eddie? My biggest takeaway is that setting clear boundaries is critical in order for healthy youth sport relationships to exist. Youth sport athletes are most likely to reach their potential if the grown-ups clearly understand their proper role in the athlete's development process. My suggestion to parents is to seek out education in order to perform at your best as a sports parent. It may be cliche, but knowledge is indeed power. I want to thank Sky for her kind generosity and the wisdom she shared with the Freshman Foundation community. You can learn more about Sky and the Soccer Parenting Association by visiting their website at soccerparenting.com. And you can visit them on social media at Soccer Parenting. To learn how mental performance coaching can help your mind work for you rather than against you, visit michaelvhuber.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you back soon for episode 53. Mike Huber is the founder and owner of Follow the Ball Coaching, located in Fairhaven, New Jersey. He is a mental performance coach and business advisor Dedicated to serving athletes just like you, reach their full potential on and off the court. The Freshman Foundation is all about helping you get to the next level. For more information, follow along on Instagram at The Freshman Foundation. Please subscribe, give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, leave a review, tell a friend. Most importantly, come back in two weeks ready to get better.